Hello, and welcome to episode nine of the Election Observer podcast. This episode is part one of a two-part special on the US midterm elections. On today's podcast, we're joined by John and Harry. Now, Democracy Volunteers currently has a team of observers deployed across the states with the core team based in Washington, D.C. First, we're going to hear from John. John, why are Democracy Volunteers in the states? Hi, Juliana. Hi, Tom. Um, Well, obviously, two years ago uh, was one of the most controversial elections in U.S. history. Um, And some of the events that happened after it are things that we don't expect to see in an advanced Western democracy. But that's not the reason we're here. US elections are always very interesting and they have a lot of different ways of conducting their elections. And one of the things that we've found very interesting the last few days of being here is that there are 51 different sets of rules, hundreds of different ways of doing it, lots of different ways of counting, lots of different ways of running elections, all in the same uh, electoral context. So, you know, if we were in the UK, you'd be very surprised if you saw a different way of counting using a machine, wouldn't you? You'd be very surprised if you saw an electronic machine to count, to, to actually register your vote. Because we're used to a sort of fairly Victorian sort of steam driven process of a piece of paper and a pencil. And it goes to the ballot box and somebody at the end of the day counts after 10 o'clock. Here, you know, in the various states we're in, there are different methodologies of, of conducting the process. So it's interesting to us. It's also useful to them because at the end of the day, every uh, democratic society should welcome independent election observation from teams like ours because it's important they hear from experts and just ordinary people what we think of the electoral process. So I think the main reason to be here this election is because elections are under scrutiny increasingly around the world, increasingly there are external actors trying to affect Western democracies. And I think it's important that we, as an independent, non-partisan, totally independent group of people, um, come along, say what we think, um, and record that and give it back to them and say, this is what we found and that's our finding. So that's the reason we're here. I think it's really interesting to see the kind of impact that democracy volunteers can have on these kind of larger scale international observations. And I previously have deployed some smaller teams to the states for observation before. How is this trip building on your previous work? Well, we've got teams, to be fair, you know, there are 51 essential electoral uh, authorities across the US and it would be, we'd have to literally deploy thousands of people if we're going to do it on a degree that we do in the UK. So, for example, this May's local elections in in. Uh, the UK, we deployed, I think, about 250 observers. If we were to do something comparative across America, we'd have two or 3,000. So that's not credible. So what we've tried to do is look at different methodologies, like I was saying. The first is we're looking at a state which is what is arguably one of the most mail-in ballots there is, very open to electoral observation, which is Colorado. We've got a team of three on the ground there. They've been to a number of uh, the areas and counties across the state, and they're looking specifically at that part of the process. We've got a small team in Missouri. Missouri is a state that is openly has legislation about allowing um, electoral observation. It states very welcoming observers really want feedback from what we have to say, and they're a state that welcomes it. Myself and Harry are sitting in Virginia at the moment. Virginia is just south of Washington DC. For those that don't know the geography of America, and it's a state which is has lots of different rules. So for example, we're in a county at the moment, just south of Washington, that has one set of rules and so on. Another another county has another set of rules and you have to apply to them independently, individually, to observe in those areas. The same for Washington DC, which is another electoral area, one that's very interesting because obviously, although Washington DC is the capital of this country, they don't get to vote for senators, they don't get to vote for congressmen. Um, It's quite an interesting sort of, you know, um, cure its egg, uh, Washington DC. So they're the four areas we're in, Colorado, 
Missouri, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. We could go to others. Um, there are other states that allow it, but one of the things that's also interesting about U.S. elections is not every state allows this. So, you know, there's a map which you can probably see on our website from the last elections, we'll probably put it again quite soon, which shows the states that don't even allow election observation. And that's one of the things that we want to feed back is that you states, especially those members of the OSCOD, which have agreed to have international observation as part of their legislation, America doesn't fulfill that criterion. So it's important that we also feed that back to their authorities so they understand that you know, independent election observation is something they're committed to by international treaty and they should uh, follow that up too. You've obviously talked there a little bit about the limitations there, but I guess, Harry, from your perspective as well, in terms of choosing those states then particularly, are they states you have previous experience in or are these largely new states you're looking at exploring to kind of add some extra dynamics to what you researched last time? Hi, Tom and Juliana. Thank you for uh, for doing this podcast again. Um, and essentially, it's building on the work that we've done previously in a few different ways. Um, in Back in 2018, we had a small team who were deployed in Missouri, um, and we got access into all of the different stages of the process. As John's just been alluding to there, all of the different states have slightly different legislation around who is allowed to observe and the different processes for making sure that you can have those observation credentials for election day, but also for things like ballot processing in advance of the election and counting centres in the evening of the election. Back in 2018, we had a small team in Missouri, um, and so we're back there to see how the electoral landscape has changed since our last observation. And quite a few of our observers, and I think quite a few listening to this podcast, will have taken part in our 2020 virtual mission, which was obviously during the coronavirus pandemic, which presented challenges, obviously, for election staff, but also from an observation point of view. Um, back at that time, we did a virtual observation mission which meant that we had to focus on some slightly different areas uh, than we would normally concentrate on. So in particular, we looked at media monitoring uh, and some of the difficulties around information that was being spread at that time. And I believe you'll have Elizabeth, who's doing a lot of in-depth media research uh, on the podcast later. So there is the state of Missouri that we've been to in person before, but going around to the different states plus DC itself to see how the process is withstanding some of the challenges of the last couple of years is something that we're, we're looking to assess this time and something that hopefully in the next podcast we'll be able to report back to you on on all of our different findings. Absolutely and I think what's one of the things that always stood out to me from those international observations is that kind of feeling that you get from people when you're there getting in there you've obviously been there now for how many days have you been for at the time we're, we're recording this? So we've been in the states for about seven days and um, so Obviously, compared to some of the observations that we do in countries across Europe and in the UK, we're spending a lot more time in the area to really get more of a understanding of the electoral context. Um, but we will be staying for a few days after polling day as well to make sure that we can see all of the different processes for counting. And as usual, we'll be looking at some of the legal disputes that happen and in the USA do happen a lot more than in other countries. So those who have observed with us before and have done work on post-election scrutiny um, may not see as much, uh, much process following the election. In the USA, there's obviously a little bit more of a culture of uh, challenging some of these decisions in the court. Um, and so we're here for a little bit more uh, of an extended period this time compared to some of our other observations. 
and I that's and I guess that's part of it is that obviously then hopefully with a bit more time you're having a little bit more reach in terms of some of those people you're reaching to and and you're speaking to as part of that process. So I guess one of the interesting things that I'd be interested to know about is what is the feedback when people are identifying that they've got election observers around and uh, and observing John. I think first a surprise. I think actually shouldn't you be in Africa is usually the response you get and you go well hang on we observe in the UK which is in transwestern Oxford we've been recently been to Sweden the Netherlands and for several other countries in Western Europe to observe elections and when you explain to them that actually their elections are <coughs> some of the more complicated in the world some of the way they conduct it are quite complicated and trust in elections is increasingly something that people want to talk about uh, in this context. I think people actually quickly come around to the idea that actually election observers are a very good idea. In fact, some people I've spoken to over here just wonder why there aren't more of them. Um, and actually it'd be quite good to have more of them. But the problem with um, election observers being asked is what I said earlier, is the fact that several states don't even allow it. So really the challenge is to try and get America to, to look at itself in the way that we do, which is, any sort of, I don't want to come into all, you know, political science language, but people who assess elections externally do so independently, they have no dog in the fight. And actually it's one of the challenges that the US has is that elections are run by people who, who also benefit from them. So it's very important that people who are not involved in that process can also feed back their thoughts to try and help improve them. So I think my impression so far and how you can jump in is that my that I think people are very, very welcoming of us. They're a bit surprised to start off with. We've spoken to people from both political parties and others, if something is independent in the election as well. And journalists understand it and and sort of, you know, NGOs understand it, but increasing the parties go, mm, yeah, fair enough, because actually, you know, there is a debate about electoral integrity in the US and something that we feel we can contribute to. So that's why we're here. And, and there is genuine, I think, um, support for what we're doing. But I don't know how he thinks. Yes, absolutely. I think there are a few different ways to sort of take your, your question, Tom. And the first one is, as John spoke about earlier, the map of the different legislation across different states. So there are a number of states in the US that simply don't allow um, domestic or international non-partisan observation. Um, they normally will from some of the larger organisations such as the OSCE. Uh, but if you have a look at the map that I'm, I'm sure will be on our website at some point in the near future, you'll see some of the differences in the ways that uh, different secretaries of states actually accredit observers in their area. For those who are listening who have observed in Ireland before, um, some of the processes are quite similar to that in that local returning officers, or in this case counties, can allow different levels of access to their elections. Some places have completely free access, um, which is obviously something that's very good for election observers such as ourselves. But it's in this vein that I think one of the key aspects of election observation is that the host country, or in this case, the host states, have to be willing to invite observers and take them in because they want to learn about how their systems can be improved. And on the whole, I think we've found that the counties that we're in have been very welcoming um, and aware of some of the challenges that are present in America at this point in time. And I think that it's one of the best ways possible to try and strengthen perceptions of electoral integrity and electoral integrity itself is to have uh, non-partisan observers. One of the challenges that there has been in the States, which I don't think I'll be jumping to reports say, is the number of partisan poll watchers or party observers. I'm sure some of the people listening to the podcast will have seen two years ago some of the challenges of political observers being at counting centres and also at polling places. 
Um, and so having non-partisan observers to, to give uh, more concrete data that is more valid and more reliable is something that has been very well welcomed. And so finally, just to kind of round out the episode, can you tell us a little bit about what kind of activities you've been doing on the first part of your observation? Three different groups are doing three different things. So the team in Colorado's had uh, a behind the scenes experts tour of the processes in different counties in Colorado about how their process works, the methodology of, of voting on the day, the methodology of counting on the night, and how they then also audit that process later in the process as well. So it's, I mean, sorry for those listening now, this is incredibly nerdy stuff, but those things are really important to, to understand that when you don't have a sort of hand count that we have, um, how are you actually going to prove that, that ballot, those ballots are counted properly is a really important part of, and something that will be debated um, in America in the future, in the coming days. In terms of Missouri, they are there now. They are observing different aspects of the preparation selection process, um, and they'll be doing something similar. In, in Virginia, uh, we've been to several. We're trying to look at different aspects of it as well. So in, in D.C. and Virginia, um, D.C. have been very welcoming, but we're going to be going to their polling stations at length on polling day to try and get quite a sort of deep uh, understanding more on the ground observation we might normally see in the U.K. But in practice, um, you know, there are three different... <laughs> projects we've got going and hopefully we'll be able to feedback on the three different methodologies of voting we're seeing which are you know, that more in uh, more mail-in process the more in-person process we see uh, in dc and what's going on in virginia where they have another one altogether different so the answer is i think we have had more useful impact already because just talking to politicians, we've been talking to asking to congressman a couple of times, sorry, a candidate for Congress a couple of times, and he's very welcoming of the idea that we're here. Um, and he's one of the people you might be more surprised uh, is interested in it because actually I think there is, I think there is, if I were to be, this again, I'm not trying to predict what we're going to say, there appears to be some cross uh, the aisle or bipartisan view that actually lets integrity something that really matters. Something that, that, that you, robust elections need to depend on robust outputs and actually democracy is something which is increasingly complicated and something which they they appear to me to be quite keen to try and resolve and to improve on no well that's it well we don't want to predict part two because we're very lucky that we'll hopefully have the chance to speak to you guys a bit later on uh, after a little bit later on in your mission to kind of see whether or not you've got some preliminary findings but um it's been really interesting so far to learn about what you've been discussing so far and we look forward to hearing from you later but we're also very lucky this time to have the chance to have a chat with Elizabeth Blunt. Now, Elizabeth Blunt is a, a world-renowned uh, journalist who's worked for the BBC for a number of years uh, and has worked in a number of different countries around the world on various different uh, projects. Um, we're very delighted that she's also been part of the mission and she was also willing to talk to us about some of the things that she's been reflecting as our media expert. Thank you very much, Liz, for joining us. Uh, we were just wondering, so could you just tell us a little bit more about your role in this observation mission? Well, I'm a journalist, a retired journalist. I worked all my career for the BBC. Um, and so as well as being an ordinary observer with the mission, I have been asked to write the media section in the final report. And that will be looking at issues around reporting this election, um, journalist access, journalist safety, and also what the media are doing, whether there's a reasonable diversity of opinion in the press and whether candidates can get their opinions out to their voters. So we discussed with John and Harry what they've been focusing on since they arrived in the US. As the media expert, what has your observation in America consisted of so far? 
Well, what I've been doing so far is a mixture. Part of it is about being a normal observer, and I'm an observer in the um, area around Washington in Northern Virginia, in, in Arlington area. So I have been to meet two of the candidates for Congress and talk to them directly, and I've been to a rally involving candidates, geeing up their supporters. But also I've been trying to look into the media issues. I've met the Committee for the Protection of Journalists. Uh, I've met active journalists, retired journalists, um, and generally trying to get a sense of what's going on. So as a fellow observer on the US virtual observation mission in 2020, how has the experience for you compared so far? Well, the observation mission in 2020 was extremely strange. I don't think anyone has previously tried to observe an election remotely over the internet. And it really did sound, when they suggested it, it sounded like a pretty crazy sort of idea. In fact, it worked far better than I would have imagined. Um, Partly because of lockdown, so many things were taking place on the internet, so many meetings were taking place by Zoom. I could sit in on workshops and um, rallies and events. Uh, I could talk to people by Zoom. Um, and people had a lot more time because they were all locked up at home. They were all bored. And I was able to get quite a lot of access and, of course, quite a lot of access anywhere. I wasn't tied to the Washington area. I was theoretically observing in Wisconsin remotely, but I could talk to anybody in the country about press issues. And so I did. And I think in the end, we did a fairly good job, given the constraints of the situation. This time, of course, everything is different. Everything's opened up. Everything's Everyone's running around and very busy for the election. It's been quite hard getting hold of journalists in particular. Um, but of course, it's far more real and far more credible than it could have been last time. Now, whilst there's still plenty of work to be done on the remainder of the observation, are there any particular issues that the media are picking up so on so far that you've noticed? Uh, the issues for the press this time, slightly different from 2020, um, Last time in the presidential election, there was a lot of concern about violence and intimidation. Journalists were being pushed and harassed physically at political rallies, particularly at President Trump's rallies. Uh, they were being harassed online and trolled um, very unpleasantly sometimes. That seems to have calmed down. I haven't heard any reports of physical intimidation. But people are still quite nervous, quite tense. Uh, and they say the situation is volatile. Rows can blow up between people at any moment over any issue. Small things or what would seem like small things like school board elections. Um, I was quoted the example of Texas where there was suddenly a big row about school board elections. And the education reporter for a local paper was caught up in the middle of it. And it was quite frightening and quite dangerous. And, you know, when you sign up to be an education reporter on a provincial newspaper, you don't expect to be in the middle of, of that sort of thing. But generally, it hasn't been as rough and it hasn't been as dangerous as it was last time. What people have raised with me is a question of access, that they think it's getting harder and harder to talk to politicians, um, to have full interviews with them. Uh, the politicians seem to feel they can get away with not talking to the press now, unless they want to, unless they think it's a friendly outfit, unless they think it's a friendly outlet. Uh, someone said to me, this is 
because of social media. Once they discovered they had their own Facebook feeds and they could say what they like and they weren't contradicted, then they didn't feel they needed journalists anymore. So it might be that. It might also be that the press, like a lot of things in America, has become more polarised and more siloed. There is press that supports one side, press that supports the other. And I spoke to journalists at an event. Uh, they had no complaints about access to that particular side of the argument, which was the Republican side. I asked if they'd had problems getting access to Democrat events or Democrat politicians. And they looked at me in amazement. They'd never even asked. They'd never even tried. They were purely reporting one side and no doubt somewhere else journalists were equally just reporting the other. Um, and it was a more absolute divide than I'd expected to find in America. Thank you to all of our guests on today's episode. And thanks for joining us on another episode of the Election Observer podcast. Join us next time for part two of our two-part special on the US midterm elections.